Hey everybody, Larry Roberts here, and I wanted to see if I could get you to do me a favor. If you're listening to the show and you enjoy what you hear, head over to iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts and subscribe to the show. This guarantees that you get the latest and the greatest content from the Readily Random Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking to you very soon. And now it's time for another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it when my guests dance with me. That is just tremendous. It starts the episode off with a ton of energy and a ton of fun, which everyone knows I love both. So, I want to take a second and welcome you to another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. And today I have just a phenomenal guest. She lives a very unique life. Uh, she's the author of multiple books, one of which we'll talk about closer to the end of the show. But the, the main thing is we want to hear some of her life stories because they are stories that transcend business. Uh, they get into family and business and how to combine the two, and she can tell you a lot better than I can what some of her experiences are. So why don't I quit talking about her and just introduce her? Mitzi Perdue is with me today. Mitzi, thank you so very much for joining me. What an absolute joy to be here, and I'm eager to share some of the stories because I think they might be useful to people. The things that I have in my mind that I'm eager to share tonight are success stories that are timeless things that work in any age and whether it's uptimes or downtimes. Oh, that's phenomenal. Cause you know, we're always seeing peaks and valleys throughout our lives. And a lot of time it's difficult to balance how to stay up or how to even just maintain much less staying up through some of those more difficult times. So some of your stories and your experiences, I'm sure would be great to add to that narrative. Well, allow me to share one that's just so relevant today, Okay. because my late father, he was the co-founder, along with my uncle, of the Sheraton Hotel chains. Okay. And by the time of his death, he employed 20,000 people and owned 400 hotels. Nice. But he started during the Great Depression. He got his first hotel, the absolute height of the first of the Great Depression, 1933. Wow. And- this was, yeah, this was certainly a downtime. This was, there was 25% unemployment. And if you lost your job, you pretty much knew it was the bread line and that you weren't going to get mm. another. So how did he make a success out of a time when absolutely everybody was down? And I was a little girl growing up, you know, it was really obvious to me that, that daddy was kind of larger than life and a really successful guy. So as a little girl, I mean, 12 or so. I'd be asking him, you know, Daddy, how did you do it? And one of his stories, which I just love to share right now, Please. has to do with what he would do every single time he bought a new hotel. Okay. And typically, when he'd be buying a new hotel, it would be one that was just verging on bankruptcy because nobody was buying hotels back then. Okay, so how did he do it? And here's what he told me. He said the day that he took possession of the hotel – He'd invite everybody to come into the ballroom. And often hotels employ more people than than you see. I mean, like typically there might be 400, 800 employees. Well, he'd invite them all into the hotel ballroom. And he knew ahead of time 
that every single person there in his audience was scared they were going to lose their jobs. He was also aware that they probably weren't going to be disposed to listen to a single thing he said, because if you're worried about going out in the breadline or what you're going to tell your spouse about you lost your job, I mean, it's, uh, it's not a teachable moment. Right. So he turned things around. He stood up there in front of them and he said, I want every one of you to keep your job. Everyone. And he said, I have a reason for this. He said, I know that you know your job better than anybody else in the whole world. And I have a job and that's to give you the support and the encouragement to show the world just how great you are. And can you imagine what it must have been to be in his audience and, and, and hear that you're going to keep your job? But then he went on. That's not the end of the story. He went on and he'd tell them, you're going to see that in two or three months, we're going to turn this hotel around. Instead of teetering on bankruptcy, it is going to be the most popular hotel in the whole city. It's going to be the best served, the most financially stable. And together as a team, we're going to show the rest of the city that things can turn around. We're going to be a shining light showing that things can get better. Now imagine what their mood was coming in and what their mood was going out. Oh, yeah. But even that's not the end of the story. Because the next day, all the employees would see cavalcades of workers coming in, like plumbers, electricians, decorators. But they wouldn't be going to the areas that the public would see. No, they were going to the areas that only the the employees would ever see, like the employee dining rooms, lockers, showers, uh, the rickety old elevators, all the places that the public would never, ever see. So I'm asking my daddy, you know, how come you did that? Why wouldn't you put money first into, you know, something where you could get money back by by appealing to the traveling public who's going to see the public rooms? Sure. And he said that a leader's job, and this is one of the timeless lessons, A leader's job is to give people a better vision of themselves. People crave to feel important and part of a team. And by putting the money in the, in the areas that affected the employees most, this would communicate to them how, how important they were as members of this team. Cool. That's very cool. You know, and it's something that we don't experience very often these days. And, you know, even that's not the end of the story, although we're getting awful close to the end of the story. Oh, it's fine. Continue. Thank you. Well, in fact, I'm, I'm about to share what, what I consider maybe the most useful of all. I asked him, how come you're, when you're standing up there in front of all these people and, you know, by the time they know they're keeping their jobs, they're really paying attention to you. Oh, why didn't you tell them, you know, keep your job, but you have to do a really good job or something. You know, why didn't you sort of say, do a good job or or you won't keep your job? And father answered that getting people to do what you want, what you want them to do, and that's influencing them. It comes in three flavors. And the first is intimidation. He could have stood up in front of those 800 people and said, do a better job or you're fired. And he said, you can get people to do what you want using intimidation, but they do it grudgingly. 
they'll never give it they'll they're all they they'll never give they'll they'll never go the extra mile for you if if you're doing it through intimidation so that's flavor number 1 flavor number 2 he said i could have used bribery i could have said do a really great job and there's a raise in it for you there's a bonus in it for you but he said that's not a good way either because you know it's better than intimidation but he said it's too transactional people will work for the bribe and they won't go the extra mile they'll do just what's needed to get the bribe so what's left flavor number 3 inspiration he said when he when he's talking to the employees particularly the new ones he's not telling them you know your job is to be a waitress or a bartender or a bellman now your job is to be part of a team that makes this the best, best hotel in the whole city an example to everyone else and he said a leader's job is to give people a better vision of themselves and so that was i you know when i was asking him what's the secret of your success he actually had several answers to it over the years but the biggest one as far as as far as i can tell was that he inspired people to stay with him for life because they always did and to go the extra mile just to make it a habit of working as a team to make it the best that you can so again you're not waiting table or or lugging suitcases or something you're part of a team that's making this the best hotel in the city wow wow do you, do you think that's a quality that's that's almost lost these days real leadership like that well he had a very i mean to my mind a really interesting story of how he got that way because it it i i i think i can promise you or guarantee you that that wasn't what everybody else did because if everybody else had done that they would have had the success that he did i mean 400 hotels 20,000 employees starting from nothing uh now he had something but how did he happen to learn these human relations skills and you know this is another thing that i frankly and honestly i'm just itching to share with everybody please because he started out the least likely person in the world to be in the hospitality industry and here's what happened when he was age 26 he got engaged to my mother they you know he was living in cambridge massachusetts she was from wheeling west virginia she came east to meet her future parents in law into her great surprise into unending family stories grandmother berta told her don't marry ernest <laughs> you're going to end up poor <laughs> she might have been just a little off well actually she could have well i'll i'll, I'll tell the rest of the story and you judge <laughs> Okay, now yeah, mother's answer was I don't care. I love him anyway, you know, for rich or poor. And thank heaven they married because I wouldn't be here. Uh, at least I don't think I would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the 19 yeah. Yeah, I'm not touching it. I'm not uh -uh, <laughs> Yeah, no. I think I'm I'm going to gallop away from that. <laughs> don't you worry. That one's safe with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well No father took this somewhat seriously you know if his own mother is saying that you know his future wife is going to end up poor so he went to the yellow pages and we're talking Boston Massachusetts at this point 
And there was a career guidance counselor in the Yellow Pages named Johnson O'Connor. You know, father felt, you know, I've got to turn the ship around. I'm, you know, it's not going well so far. Uh, So he he spent like eight hours with Johnson O'Connor taking all the tests you can think of telling what his aptitudes would be. And at the end of the session, Johnson O'Connor told Ernest Henderson, you have the worst human relations skills I've ever come across. <laughs> you have absolutely no, I, no conception of how to uh, interact with people. Your, your, your mind works in such strange ways that you, you don't understand what they're thinking. You don't, you know, you're, I mean, in today's words, I think I will translate. I think he told my father, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> so John Snow Connor, but you know, his job is to tell father what he should choose as a sure, career. Sure. And he told father, you need a job where you don't interact with another human being, but you're a very bright guy. So I recommend that you somehow get yourself a job in a science laboratory where you do all sorts of wonderful, clever, smart experiments, but you don't have to interact with people. Well, father took this as a challenge. Because he figured out, and he actually told me this, that the key to success in life is getting along with people. Almost everything you do depends on your ability to influence people, to persuade people, to have people like you, to have people want to be with you, to have people want to do business with you. So for pretty much the rest of his life, he made it a quest to try to figure out what makes people tick. And he began taking courses I, I don't know when Dale Carnegie course, the Dale Carnegie course started, but I do know that he told me that he read How to Win Friends and Influence People every 10 years. Oh, wow. And he took the Dale Carnegie course, but he also took psychology courses. He took salesmanship courses. He took public speaking courses. I mean, oh, and when I was growing up, he made it his business to make friends with all sorts of world famous psychologists. And they could be, you know, guests of ours for the weekend at our at our country place. And I don't know if these names are well known now, but w- at one point, B.F. Skinner was just one of the smartest psychologists around, and he was a regular weekend guest. Or another one, you may not recognize the name, but you'll recognize what he did. Eddie Bernays was known as the father of advertising and marketing. Oh, wow. So, you know, these father just simply made it his his goal and his quest to hang out with people who understood people and to take courses. And in the end, I think because you know his biggest deficit, I think became his his biggest asset. Because I think somebody who has really put heart and soul into understanding well I, I'm gonna say understanding psychology, but then I want to quote something that that influenced him and some of the psychologist William James. Okay. And I think it's the key to the universe in case anybody <laughs> wants to. Know oh, everybody brace yourselves. Here, here, this is the key to the universe. I like yeah. this. All right. Yeah, drum roll, please. Yes. All right. William James, a famous psychology from a psychologist from 120 years ago, he said the deepest craving of human nature is the desire for appreciation. So people want to be appreciated. So definitely. You know, Father went way out of his way to show appreciation to people and make them feel important. And for example, when he, one of the reasons that he would spend the first money when he'd buy a hotel on places that would benefit the employees more than the guests 
was it was a way of showing appreciation, showing you're important. This place depends on you. You are so important that I'm I'm you know creating a beautifully decorated environment for you, even before the guests. Wow, and that's that's an excellent story, and one that, that again I just I know people today can learn from that. They can they can take into appreciation putting their employees first, putting the people that help them get where they're at first and demonstrating and, that. Well, and, and I also just love that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid that if somebody told me your, your human relations <laughs> skills suck, that I I'd, I'd go into a corner and cry for 10 years and just be defeated by it. Exactly. Except I, except I wouldn't be because I have this example that, you know, that this had to be a terrible blow to have somebody tell him that, but look what he did with it. And I even have a guess about my father, and I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not qualified to guess, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, do it. Be a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suspect that he had a little bit of Asperger's because somebody with Asperger's, it doesn't come normally and naturally to them to interact with people. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, somebody who is at least has a very, very mild case of it, they can study what you need to know and get really, really good at it. And that, I think, was my father. And, you know, anybody who's thinking my human relations skills aren't what they should be, take heart from the example of my father who, I mean, when I look at his his life, he was forever giving speeches. He was forever on television. He was entertaining on a scale that few people ever do. I mean, as, as I, I used to think that except for a nationally known politician, that few people would have been interacting with larger numbers of people than him. Wow. The guy who was supposed to end his days in a laboratory by himself. (laughs) And and, and I think that speaks volumes about your father's dedication to doing what needed to be done. Because as you mentioned, you know, many times we take, they're not insults, they're observations about ourselves. And we take those to heart and we take them, well, you have to take them personally, right? But at the same time, we don't, we don't do anything to change it. We like to wallow in that that state, and we like to maintain that state of just what we consider normal, right? But yeah. you have to have that drive. You have to have that desire and that that goal to keep going and push beyond that. And the fact that your father had that speaks volumes about him. Well, but then, you know, with myself, I sort of, I I struggle with that story because part of me really believes that you should build on your strengths rather than just try to overcome your weaknesses. However, he is an example of somebody whose greatest weakness became his greatest strength. I mean, he was just over-the-top genius at dealing with people, but it didn't come natural. He learned the skills, but it was important to him because he got that if, if, you wanted, if you want to do well in the world, if you want a happy life, you've got to interact with people and you've got to under, you have to have at least some understanding of them. And he didn't have any native understanding of them. He had to learn it. See, and that's funny because I I don't have that drive as much as I need to have it because, you know, what I do well, I'm proud of. And I like to maintain that and learning something new or adopting something new that I'm not as good at is very intimidating because I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. So I, (laughs) I, I don't try to build too much on those skills. I like to just use what I've got and and make that shine as much as possible. And to have the 
desire or the even just the the, the self examination, be able to step back and go, okay, I am good at this, but regardless, I still need to do this. I still need to get better at this, and then to do it is is huge. Yeah, the doing it is just to my mind amazing because honest for the rest of his life he was on a great big quest to understand people better. That's that's great, and I, I man, I, if if more people would take the time to learn about people, imagine what we could do. Well, look where it took him. I mean, you know, I, be, I began the story of of the founder of the Sheraton Hotels, right? By by saying that he started with one hotel at a time when everybody else who had hotels was failing, and he came up with this secret sauce of making the people committed and dedicated and ready to go the extra mile for him. He figured out how to do that. And good Lord, it, 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 I mean, it was a miracle, but I also think that it's something that, that learning to get along with people is something that can be taught even for somebody who has no natural skill at it, no innate skill at it. I think it's, it's a lot of it is just a mutual respect, isn't it? I mean, just be courteous and just common sense stuff. Well, you know, and that's what's so funny is I go common sense stuff to some folks. It's not common sense. Well, how come every other hotel operator back then uh, didn't see it? Exactly. Exactly. So me saying it's common sense, although I, I think we get more exposure these days to how we need to treat each other than maybe you got back then just because of social media and just you know, everything is instant and we get instant input all the time. So I think the expectation should be that we should know. We should know it shouldn't escape us, that it, it shouldn't be that difficult to get along with your fellow human. Oh. Uh. <laughs> you got me on a soapbox, Mitzi. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but, but I'm, I'm what, what you're hearing, I don't know if the mic picks it up, is a great big sigh. Yes, yes, yes. So. Now, that, if I could wave a magic wand uh, and improve the world. I have no I doubt. Think, no, but I think I, what I would, my wish would be that people would understand what my father understood about how, how people want to feel important. They want to be respected. They want to be valued. They, uh, they want to feel they're part of something bigger. Did I mention that he said one of his insights is that people have a compulsion to live up to or down to your expectations? Oh, you, you didn't mention that, but I believe that 100%, sure. <laughs> okay, so his so one of his approaches was just to expect the best from people, and that includes providing them with, with the best tools. And, and, and that, again, it's just such a simple lesson that is so difficult to grasp, and it just speaks volumes that your, your father was that insightful it it is it, it, it's just it's amazing to hear how he went from that's his worst quality to his absolute best quality and his best quality is what set him apart from the competition and you know and i don't know if a lot of folks listening really grasp the time frame of the depression and how difficult it was during the depression i did a research paper on the great depression so i did a ton of research and spent 6 weeks on the topic itself and wow. came to realize exactly how difficult it really was. And I think it's hard for others to grasp that. Well, I can give a quick little just kind of nugget from a, a family story. Please. All right. When mother first did marry father, they were poor. 
they were poor enough so that at least at the beginning of the Great Depression, before he started making a success of hotels, they had so little money that mother, who, you know, at the end of her days, she was like the queen bee of society almost. She gave parties that people would kill to come to. But here's here's what the first part of, or the very, I don't know, first few years of the marriage was like. She told me that she learned that from the local grocery store, they didn't have supermarkets back then, that you could buy cracked eggs for one cent each, where a whole egg would cost five cents. So she would be buying cracked eggs uh, and should cook them really well to get rid of germs. And we all grew up fine, so obviously it worked. But imagine a woman who went from serving or buying cracked eggs. Oh, then another thing, uh, she discovered that back then orange crates came in wooden crates. So if you were getting, if the the grocery store was getting oranges from Florida, there would be these nice wooden crates and they would throw them away, but mother would ask for them to use them for firewood. Wow. I mean, can you imagine this one woman going from... (laughs) begging orange crates crates at the beginning of her life to being the queen bee of society at the end. Well, she's seen it all. She knows what it takes, you know, and she knows she didn't want to go back there. That's for sure too. So (laughs) guaranteed, but she was just genuinely a nice, generous person. So she was, she was a good spirit. She, it didn't go to her head. Right. Right. The success didn't go to her head. She was always. That's wonderful. That I'm not a, sure if I dare say humble, but she didn't. She didn't have an oversized ego. She was there to serve. That's that's spectacular. That is a great great story in and of itself, right there. Thank uh, you. Um, let's talk about your your, uh, your your husband and and how that went. And give us some stories there, because I mean that's the other half of your unbelievable life is that you not only had a super super successful father. But then you married a gentleman who was also super, super successful. Well, Frank Perdue, we were married for 17 years until his passing. And he was my hero from beginning to end because I just, I really enjoyed being near him because he, first of all, he was brilliant. He was, he was insightful on the same scale as my father. But I had, and people often ask me, you know, did you have anything to do with running the company? And the answer is absolutely, totally, completely, 100% no. <laughs> <laughs> but I did do something that, that tied in with, with my, stru- my strengths and something that, that he valued a whole lot, which is when we first came back from our honeymoon, and we're talking 1988, uh, we're walking along the beach in uh, Watch Hill, Rhode Island. We're carrying our sandals. And it's romantic. And I look up at my darling new husband and I say, sweetie, I think we should entertain every single one of the 16,000 who, people who work for the company. And yeah, that took him aback. I bet and, it did. <laughs> yeah. And he said, no, that's impossible. 16,000 people, we can't en- entertain them all. And I said, uh, yes, and we'll do it in our home a hundred at a time. And he said, no, that's way too many. And I said, it's August now. Let's start mid-September. No, that's way too soon. And you know, we went round and round with me sort of acting as if I didn't process that he was saying no. Right. But, but as we kept talking, you know, the, the, the no, what planet did you come from, sort of started to change into, hmm, maybe there's something to this. Until finally, uh, after a few more rounds, you know, he slammed his fist into his palm and he said, I like it. 
So six weeks later, we started entertaining people in our home a hundred at a time. And we did it pretty much for the next 17 years, three times a month. Wow. And we, we would have everybody, whether it was truckers or sanitation workers or veterinarians or secretaries, just absolutely everybody. And, and, and we're now onto why among the reasons that I think Frank was so great at these parties, Frank, we, the, our living, we had a large living room and there was a great big long buffet table and it was for dinner. And Frank would stand behind the buffet table and wait on his employees. And, and I'm thinking, how many heads of Fortune 500 sized companies would wait on their employees? And then another thing that he'd do, at the end of, of, of every evening, he would stand up in front of 100 people, his employees, and he'd tell them what was going on in the company. You know, we just got the so-and-so contract, or there's been a genetics breakthrough that's going to make healthier chickens, or, you know, terrible news. Uh, you know, maybe we lost an important contract or, or who knows what. But he would tell them with the, you know, the greatest transparency exactly what the company that they're working for, how it's doing and what its challenges are. And if, if you're, imagine that you're a trucker and you get to hear the big boss tell you and then answer questions. And then at the end of the evening, Frank would always thank the people who worked. And by the way, he would say worked with him, not worked for him. He would thank all the people who worked with him and say in, in, in different words each time, but the, the net effect would be, thank you. I know that the company wouldn't be what it is today without you. And wow. And I've, I've been to funerals where the next of kin would tell me that the most meaningful thing in the deceased's life was being invited to Frank Purdue's home for dinner. Wow. And, oh, oh you know, something else about, about, about that entertaining. Yes. When Frank and I were discussing, you know, entertaining thousands and thousands of people, which suits me to a T because I grew up that way. <laughs> um, but he said... You know, we have a great big choice because he was a captain of industry kind of person and famous because of his advertisements. Uh, he said, you know, we could go to all sorts of really fancy parties in New York or Washington. Uh, but if we go to those, you know, that's kind of fun for us, but it's, you know, it's just one more party. On the other hand, if we entertain the people who work for the company, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great big way of showing appreciation and how important they are. And, you know, to me, that's worth how about 100,000 times more than going to some fancy New York party. Wow. Cool. That is just, that is in unbelievably cool. And it's just, it, I can't even fathom it. You know, I've, I've, I've held maybe two parties in my house and we've lived here, I don't know, 17-ish years. And I can't fathom doing another one. <laughs> it's like, there's no way. <laughs> but, but that's how, that is how I grew up because mother was a perfect like partner for, for my father because she had all sorts of like Southern, uh, Southern hospitality. I mean, sure. she was just, uh, she was just really good at making people feel important. And so, you know, in the hotel industry, it's the hospitality industry. So she was just, I mean, she was just so right for him being his hostess and, and entertaining on a fabulous scale and 
I mean, she loved it, but her purpose was to make people happy. Sure. Wow. That is spectacular. You know, and I think I, I just I just really like the running theme that we have here in that your father was a success because he put his people first. And your husband was a success because he put his people first. Absolutely. And he, he let everybody know how important they are. Your father let everyone know how important they are by investing in their spots within the hotel first and foremost. So they knew they were important. Your husband and yourself hosting parties three times a month for a hundred people. Yeah. Mind boggling. Uh, Mind boggling. I can't even imagine. Oh, I have a purpose in life, which I will share with everybody. Sure. Uh, I exist to, I mean, this is, I'm not saying I accomplish it, but it is the goal to increase happiness and decrease misery. And people who are invited to a party and allowed to feel how important they are and how valued and treasured they are. I do believe that, that creates happiness. So, I mean, this was just so perfect for me. I mean, I don't know how I got so lucky. So can you say that again? Increase happiness and decrease misery. Misery. Yeah. Increase happiness and decrease misery. Okay. Okay. I mean, that is my purpose in life. Sure. You can't have a better purpose than that. I mean, that's there. We could use a few more of you as a matter of fact. (laughs) Oh, I'm single, everybody. Oh, I've been widowed for, good Lord, for 15 years. For how long? 15. 15. I thought you said 50, but then you said 88. <laughs> so I was like, I'm, the math's not working there now. But wow, that is, that's still a, quite a while. So, well, man, those are, those are two wonderful human beings that you've shared stories of. And there is just so much to take away from their examples and, you know, that's something that I really thrive on as well are examples. You, know, you, you don't have somebody telling you how to do it. They show you how they do it. They show you that they've done it and they continue to invest by taking action on their part first and foremost. And that is something that is just that you can't, you, you can't put a price on that. You know, something else that he could do, and uh, this is a uh, a case of please do as I say and not as I do, because I was never able to accomplish what Frank did, but he learned thousands and thousands of names. So if we walked through a plant, he'd introduce me to people, you know, people, workers on the line, you know, somebody working in the chicken plant. Sure. And they'd tell me, Mitzi, this is Delcy. Her son just got into college. Or this is Antonio, and he's been here for 30 years and never had a sick day. And you know, just the number of names that he knew. And what must it feel like to somebody working on the line to have the big boss come through oh, yeah. and, and know you by name? Yeah. It's, uh, I can remember when the big boss, you know, I'll tell you a real quick story because the light's fading just a little bit. So <laughs> not bad, not bad. Oh. We're not, we're not, it's not bad yet, but we're getting there. But one of the things that I used to, when I came out of high school, one of the first things I did was sell cars. And um, I was selling Hondas at the time, and I was on the new car lot instead of the used car lot. And um, this gentleman that came down from his lofty tower called me Wally. And he said, hey, Wally, why don't you go do this or that or whatever? And the reason he called me Wally is because he'd heard somebody else call me Wally, but he never took the time to ask me, hey, is your name Wally? Or even introduce himself. Turns out it was the owner. 
And he didn't care anything about me. He didn't know my name. He didn't extend his hand to shake my hand and say, hey, great to meet you. He did none of that. And it wasn't too long after, well, I had a very bad Saturday, as a matter of fact, because that was a Saturday, and it was that morning. So it just really crushed my, I didn't have a positive attitude for sales for the rest of the day, you know? But if he had known my name, I bet I would have sold five cars, right? (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. But anyways, I had to move on because, you know, it just, he he really just crushed, I was still young, I was still in my early 20s, or maybe even late teens, and he just crushed my spirit, you know, because he didn't even take the time to say hello or just say, hey, my name is, and introduce himself. And I, I didn't have an appreciation for that. Father or or Frank, either one of them would have introduced themselves and they'd ask how you're doing and what can what can I get you or do for you. Right. And see, that would have just taken me over the moon. <laughs> well, I you know, people sometimes ask what's the secret of Frank's success, what's the secret of your father's success? And I think that both men knew how to create the kind of engagement that makes people want to go the extra mile. Right. And and loyalty is two ways. You're loyal to them. You show how important they are to you. Boy, you, it, it comes back. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. I can attest to that. So, well, Mitzi, let's talk about one more thing and then we'll start wrapping up. You have a new book that's that's out and it's, there it is right there, How to Be Up but- in Down Times. What a beautiful uh, I'm trying book. to let's see if I can get it mirror right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see it. it. Yeah, it's perfect. I can see it just fine. We can even read the fine print there. You wrote it there with Mr. Mark Victor Hansen, who uh, was on the show as well. And uh, you guys put together 40 tips, I believe, in the book on how to maintain an, a great positive a- uh, attitude and to be up in down times. You want to tell me a little bit more about it? I would adore to. One of the things that the pandemic has caused and just, well, I I think the world is experiencing, I don't think, I know the world is experiencing a lot of stress right now. Yes. And I wonder if you've experienced something that dozens and dozens of people have told me that they do, which is that they're just not as sharp as normal. Like maybe they're not remembering names as easily or a fact eludes them. Or I'm thinking I was on a conference call with a woman who's, she's a CPA and she was having trouble doing just a really simple math in in your head problem. And she said, I'm just sorry, I can't do it. I don't know what's wrong with me. And so I, I have talked with so many people and I bet some of our listeners are going through the same thing where they think, oh no, uh, you know, Alzheimer's has begun. <laughs> and and I, I have some wonderful news for you. It, it, in all probability, it has not, because there's a very scientific reason to explain why your mind isn't as sharp right now. I mean, you're worried, like in my case, my sister had COVID-19, or my nephew right. had it, or, or other cases that I'm familiar with, somebody else isn't sure their job's ever going to come back. I mean, there's just so many things to get really stressed over. And when you're stressed, and frankly, this is a stressful time. When you're stressed, your mind gets flooded with stress hormones like cortisol, adrenaline. And when that happens, your higher brain functions kind of shut down. It's sort of like if you're being chased by a lion, you're not going to be able to balance your checkbook at that moment. No. <laughs> everything's going into fight or flight. Well, it's not completely you know, one way or the other, but 
under stress, your higher brain functions, particularly memory, kind of raise that down. And I'll tell you how I happen to know this, which is why I wrote about it. I probably neglected to mention to you that for at least 30 years, I was a science writer. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I wrote a column, a weekly column. It went to 420 newspapers for Scripps Howard, and it was called The Environment and You. But it meant that I, that I interviewed scientists. And I also write, wrote the blog for the Academy of Women's Health, and I wrote for Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News. I mean, it was just fun, fun, fun. Because, wow. Because I love this stuff. But one of the people that I interviewed was a world-famous memory expert at Johns Hopkins. And tell me if this has ever happened to you. And if it hasn't happened to you, if you could imagine it happening, you're standing next to your best friend and your second best friend comes up to you and you think, oh, they don't know each other. I have to introduce them. Wouldn't it be awful if I forgot their names? And then immediately you forget them. <laughs> can you imagine that happening? Or right. are you so socially secure that that wouldn't happen to no, you? No, no, no. I can definitely imagine that happening. Okay, well, it happens to lots and lots of people. Yes. But here's, here's what's happening. The moment that you have that little bit of fear, oh, what if I can't remember her name or his name? Uh you get a little jolt of cortisol or some other stress hormone and you're in fight or flight mode and your higher brain function is just resetting down a bit and you do forget their names. But the minute the stress is gone, oh, it's the easiest thing in the world to remember both names. Right, right. Well, that's, you know, I wrote about that for, uh, for my column, but with probably, I don't know, total of 40 years that I've been writing, I've accumulated all sorts of information that just helps people during tough times. And, you know, I can't, I can't make all the other bad stuff go away. Right. But, but I can pretty much erase the fear that Alzheimer's is about to get you because, <laughs> because there's a really, if you're not remembering, if you're not as sharp as, as you used to be, if you don't have the same energy, uh, there, there's an explanation for it that, it's stress, and when the stress goes away, the other things come back. That's amazing. So, That's amazing. But there's so many things that once you know them, you're just better off. And that's what your book is going to teach us? Yep, 40 well, tips. 40 different tips. That's amazing. I want to get a copy of it myself and check it out because I can definitely use some help in that arena because I do, you know, it's funny because, um, and I, I, I told this to, to, to Mark and uh, Crystal as well, that whenever I get depressed or I'm kicking rocks, you know, I'm just walking along kicking rocks. And uh, I, I tend to listen to Pink Floyd. So uh, Pink Floyd has a tendency to to keep me there. In I don't know why I like wallowing in self-pity. It's just something that I enjoy doing. You know what? So I, I wonder about that. I just... I mean, that's the big question in life. Why do we want to wallow? Boy, I love it. <laughs> okay, all right. And then another thing. I have a, a girlfriend who's a Buddhist, and we were talking about the riots. And she was saying, is your reaction coming from fear or from love? If it's coming from fear, you are going to be miserable. You're probably going to be taken over by rage and hate and who knows what else. But if you try to respond with love, you're better and you can help make things better rather than make them worse. And, but then I answered her, the temptation to be angry and, you know, is, is, Oh, it's strong. It's strong. At yes. least if, if, if I mean, I am not a saint and it's <laughs> to, to have the wrong reaction, but since I know what it should be, I can try. 
Sure. Sure. And, you know, so many people don't know what it should be or they forget what it should be or they don't acknowledge what it should be. You know, I, I now in, in my I'm a little bit older now than than I, I was back in, you know, uh, 10, 20 years ago, obviously. And uh, I used to have a bit of an anger or rage issue and I would explode and I would yell and I would scream and I would, you know, whatever, lash out. Now, I wasn't necessarily violent, uh, at least not to people. I was violent to things. But, you know, I haven't even done that in, in almost 20 years now. I just don't let that rage control me. I don't let it take over. And it's almost like I respond with, with an opposite emotion that, that flips the switch. And the, the, the angrier I want to get, the less angry I am. It's the weirdest thing. How beautiful. Uh, could, could you sell it? <laughs> I would, can I bottle it? that up? <laughs> Yeah, that'd be spectacular. I, I wish that I could write about it because I can't even really. It's almost like it was just a decision that I made that I'm not going to give into this, this, this just horrible emotion of hate and rage because it wasn't necessarily hate at the prior to being angry, but as I got angrier, the 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 negativity just really set in. It just really took over, and it just controlled me like no other. I get it. I mean, it just simply is there and it wants to eat you. Yes, and it did for a while. But thankfully, it doesn't eat me anymore. And, and, and I'm able to keep it in check. And really, again, I don't even have to keep it in check because the things that would, I, I don't know, it's almost like I've, I, I've built a, some sort of wall, per se, to keep it out. I, I don't know. But hey, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't trade it. That's for sure. So, well, Mitzi... We have had a phenomenal conversation, and I am just so blessed to have you on the show today. It's been an oh, absolute thank you, pleasure. Thank you, thank you. It's so mutual. I mean, I just, I, I feel up. That's good. Well, that's good. I Hopefully, I didn't bring you down, so that, that's good. So, everybody go out, get a copy of Mitzi's book. Uh, you will love it. If it's anything like the conversation her and I just had, you'll be over the moon reading it. And again, I can't wait to read it myself. So, Mitzi, thank you so very much. It's been a total, pure joy. Got some wonderful stories. Wonderful stories. So thank you for sharing. All right, everybody. Thank you so very much. It's been another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. And we will do it again next week. Thanks.